0: note today uh, was, uh, it was sad for the Yanis family because Robert Yanis, a member of this church for about, uh, I think Robert's been here for about 15 years, at least that long, because we, yeah, um, Robert went home to be with the Lord this morning at 5.30 a.m., and I talked to uh, his son Nelson this morning about six o'clock, and then uh, just a little bit ago, Uh, they're doing really well. And and what they did as a family is they worshiped the Lord. And then they got pictures out of their dad. And they started looking at all these pictures and Nelson was just laughing his head off. He was saying, man, we had so many neat times. And he goes, Pastor Lee, there's just a great mood at home right now because we're going to see him because we know where he is. And so tonight we we rejoice. We're, We're filled with sorrow because this is a man that we love. He's one of the elders in our fellowship who loves Jesus Christ, who loved the Lord so much in his family and uh, was dedicated to this fellowship in many different ways. And yet the Lord decided to take him home and uh, the family's looking forward to that great time of reunion which all of us who believe in Jesus Christ will one day be with those that have gone before us, home to heaven. And so uh, the family is getting a, a memorial service together. I understand it's going to be Thursday. I'm going to talk to the family tomorrow, and we'll find out more then. I, I don't know anything more than that. I don't have a time or anything. I'll let you know on Sunday. But let's lift that family up in prayer, and we'll lift our Bible study up in prayer as well. Let's go to the Lord. Father, tonight, really, we, we are heavy with sorrow, and we... Weep with this family that has lost its leader, uh, a marriage that's over 60 years, uh, Gladys uh, losing her beloved. And so we pray for that loss that's extreme as compared to ours. We pray, Lord, that you would lift our sister to a place of, of encouragement, that her tears, Lord, that are real and that her grief that will continue. Uh, Lord, we just want to stand beside her and weep with her and the children and the rest of the family. We thank you for the Jonas family and, and what they mean to us, their children who have been members of this church for many years. For all that you've done through them and in them uh, for the gospel here in our church. And and we are so grateful, Lord, that we had this moment of time to meet Robert. And we know, Lord, that he's with you. He's enjoying life more than he ever has. And so we thank you, Lord, for the memories we have of him. I'd ask tonight that you would bless his family, bless his children and his grandchildren. And uh, Lord, just remind us how brief life is. And that the things that we do, with the hours and moments, with the days and years you've allowed us to have, Lord, those are the things that matter. We'll take those things with us to heaven, Lord, the things that we do for Christ. So, Lord, help us to number our days and apply ourselves to wisdom. In Jesus we pray. And, Lord, bless our Bible study tonight. May we understand this portion of scripture from the Old Testament. May it be applied in different ways in our lives as we receive now your word. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 We come to uh, chapter 33 in the Old Testament book of Exodus tonight, so open your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew. Uh, The important thing is that you get God's word in front of you as we read it together and study uh, together, but you'll You'll recognize this chapter. There's some things here that I'm sure that you'll recall. Last week in chapter 32, you'll remember that the people rebelled against God in that they made a golden calf led by Aaron, the high priest, uh, Moses' brother. He made, fashioned a golden calf. And in rebellion against God and against God's law. So this chapter, as we come to chapter 33, it's really Israel's repentance. It's what happens after the the sin that they've committed against God. You remember, they had this, as Moses came down from the mountain, God had revealed to him what was going on in camp. And Joshua heard, he goes, hey, what's going on? Is there war down there? There's something going on. It's like wild. And Moses knew, he already knew. When he gets down there, there's this drunken orgy going on where the people of God are dancing naked around the golden calf. And the first thing that Moses does is he's carrying the tablets of the law that are inscribed by the finger of God. Just think about that. God's autograph. God had actually wrote his law on these tablets, front and back, on each one. And Moses has, and when he gets down there, he breaks, he breaks the law, really signifying that the people had broken the laws of God. And then he takes the, <laughs> I, I don't think we really get a sense of his righteous indignation because he takes that golden calf and he pummels it into powder, is what the Bible says. I mean, he is so mad. He has taken out all his aggressions on that golden calf. How long would it take him to beat that thing? He heated it up in the fire. He burnt it with fire, and then he just beat it and beat it and beat it until it was fine powder, and he threw it in the water and made everybody drink it. Very interesting, Moses' reaction. Over and over in the, 32nd chapter, as well as in the 33rd chapter, we're gonna hear God refer to the people as rebellious or stiff-necked. And God has now decided not to go with them. Remember, we've been studying about, even on uh, Sunday night, the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was created by God to be a place where he could be with his people because that's what God's always wanted, to create a people and to be with. And remember, Jesus walked, or God walked with, I believe it was Jesus, Walked with Adam in the cool of every day. He spent time with him every day after they named the animals together. God would spend time with Adam. It's always been God's heart to spend time with his creation, just like a parent and a child. But because of man's sin, it has separated man from God. And we see the same thing happening here in this text where the sin of man is now driving God away and he's not gonna be with them as they've planned, as they've heard that God is making this tabernacle, and we've studied that even on um, Sunday night in Leviticus. And in Exodus, we've seen the, the, the building of this structure that God is going to be with the people in their camp. This is an exciting time, but in this chapter, God withdraws because of their sin. There's a lot of application here for us, but we, I've titled this chapter Israel's Repentance because we're going to see some of that although God's judgment comes down upon them. You can really divide this section up in different ways, but I'm going to give just points, and we're just going to work our way through it, beginning in the first three verses with my first point here, the withdrawal of God's presence. Notice with me in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here. You and the people with you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I'm going to give this land. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hizzite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way. I am so mad. Your sin is so grave. I'm not gonna go with you because I might consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. So when you first read this, you you get the sense that God has had it up to here with these people. I mean, don't you? When you just read it that way, you just, God has seen their sin. They've disobeyed him from the beginning, his first several laws they've broken those laws with the golden calf and their their lewd acting there at the camp and so God has been so gracious and he's been so loving and he's been so kind to Moses to spend time with him but now he says I'm not going to go with them I'm not going to spend time with them anymore they're your people I I love the way this dialogue has been going back and forth as we've read through this God says in that first verse to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land. See, (laughs) Moses is immediately identified as one of the people, as a sinner. And and certainly he would be, although God is speaking with Moses. God has a different relationship with Moses as we see from the, the text here. But God has really had it up to here with these people. And he's angry with them. And now he's going to keep his distance from them, saying, basically, I'm going to keep my distance because if I'm too close to you, I'm going to see what you're doing, and I'm going to judge you along the way. So I'm going to separate myself so you can get there, because I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants to get them there. So God's going to carry through with his promise, he's just not going to go with them. That's what this text really is about. The purpose of the tabernacle, the purpose was for God to dwell with his people. He wanted to be smack dab in the middle of the camp as they went to the promised land. He wanted to see their excitement and see his, his prophecies fulfilled in them. He wanted to be part of them as they make their journey there. But everything changed when the people sinned, when the people disobeyed him. Now, here's the application for us. Whenever you and I sin, it creates space. It creates a barrier between me and the Lord. It doesn't mean the Lord leaves us, but it certainly creates a barrier. It creates a separateness between. Your sin will create a separateness between you and a holy God. It always. There's always a consequence for sin. The Bible says sin brings forth what? Yeah. Death. And that you might say, well, n- nobody's died around me lately. Well, I, I, my marriage died. My relationship with this person, with that job, with that situation failed. There's always a consequence for our sin. And there's a separateness or a distance that comes because of our sin. Whether it's Adam and Eve's sin that caused them to hide from God. Remember, they committed the sin. Adam knew God had told him, don't eat from that tree. You can have everything you want, but that one tree, do not eat from that tree. Actually, those two. Don't eat from those. He wouldn't let him eat the tree of eternal life, but he ate of the tree that produced this fruit of knowledge the knowledge of good and evil don't eat of that tree everything else you can have well it wasn't good enough they ate of it and so when God came to walk with Adam and Eve guess what they did they hid under a bush like God didn't know they were there that's the funniest portion of the scripture where God comes and he's calling, Adam, where are you? Like God doesn't. It's like you as a parent, you know, and you have a two-year-old and you're playing hide-and-go-seek. We do this with my grandkids. Papa, papa, play hide-and-go-seek. Okay, and I stand there and I go, one, two, three, and, and Audrey will come right next to me and by the table and, and close her eyes. Like God couldn't see Adam, he says, he gives him an opportunity to Repent. But sin separated and made Adam feel guilty because of what he had done. In the case of these people in Exodus, the children of Israel, they have committed a blatant sin, idolatry. And now God has withdrawn from them because of their sin. And notice that the text here speaks of the Israelites again as as Moses' people, they're your people that you brought out there in verse 1. The irony in the story is that Israel wanted Aaron to fashion an idol for the people there so that they could experience a closeness with the idol. That's, they, they were creating an idol so they could dance around and see it and worship it, right? That's, and there's an irony there because they created an idol, and they weren't worshiping the true and the living God. The idol was the total opposite. It caused God to remove himself from them. So God could have and should have wiped them out, but he didn't. He told Moses to send the men out, remember the Levites, go out and find the people that are really blatantly, overtly, willfully disobedient and they won't won't repent, kill them. And so remember what it was, 3,000 Men died that day, only 3,000. The nation were all a part of that idolatry, but only 3,000 died. Again, God's grace. God spares them by his grace. But hearing that God will not go with them has shocked the people. And my next point here in verse four, the people repent and mourn. When the people heard this bad news, they mourned, they wept, and no one put on his ornaments Again, this word "mourn" there is abal. It means to lament, to cry out, to weep, to convulse. At the bad news, the wicked news, God had judged them for what they did, the seriousness of their sin. Verse five, for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. In other words, you've sinned so seriously that I could righteously wipe you out. And again, God calls them a stiff-necked people. Kosha. It means obstinate. It means to wholeheartedly um, turn away from, to rebel, to be stubborn, to resist. The picture is of a, an ox or a donkey resisting the direction of the farmer as the farmer pulls it by the bit in its mouth to move that animal, to move, and the, the animal resists and it resists and wants to go its own way. That's what this word means, a stiff-necked, stubborn people. So now they mourn and they're crying and they're crying out because they, they realize that God's not gonna be with them. They wanted God to be with them. They realized how good that would be But because of their stubbornness, their stiff-necked people, this stubborn attitude they had, verse 3, God says, I will not go into your midst lest I consume you on the way. Again, this was huge for them because God had been with them. Remember? God had miraculously delivered them from the bondage in Egypt with these 10 miraculous signs. And then... God opened the Red Sea, and then God provided a pillar of cloud to protect them in the desert and a f- pillar of fire at night to this heavenly nightlight, you know, to protect them. God was with them. God has shown them his, his daily provision. God has protected them in all these different ways, but no longer because of their sins. So the first thing they do is they mourn, they cry out, and you can imagine why. They've been so bad and so disobedient willfully that God had to give them their due consequence there. Now, the first thing they did, again, was mourn. And then the next thing they're required to do, look at this, it says, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. And verse six, so the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. So taking off their ornaments would have been the women's braided hair, their earrings. Uh, all of the, they had taken their earrings off to make the golden cap, but they still had the, the booty they brought back from Egypt. Remember, Egypt gave them all this money and gold and stuff when they left. And so they, they, they've got it on. The women have it on. The men have it on, all this ornaments. So they, now they take the ornaments off as a sign of, of or display of their repentance but the truth is, is their sin has cost them dearly. The presence of God and now this, the, the wealth in a sense. They, they had to give up the very things that they created the idol with in the first place, the golden calf. So this was the, really the second step of their restoration or their revival here, mourning, and then they were required to take off their ornaments. And here's some application just for that. People who are really concerned about being close to the Lord, we use the term revival. I want my heart to be revived. I want your heart to be revived. I want, I want your desire to be this, to be more of this, to want to consume this and know this, because I believe this is, these are the words of eternal life. These are the words that will help you in every scenario in your life. It's the Bible it's our god and he reveals himself in his word and so it's it's through repentance and it's through prayer and it's through a desire for the word of god that brings revival to us and these people they're they're going to be revived but they first mourn over their sin the first thing and then they strip themselves of their Ornaments. And I was trying to think of how, how, how can I apply that? What would that mean to to a believer? And I thought about men who think they're James Bond. I a lot of guys, just serious I'm just telling you as a man, a lot of guys think they're James Bond. Seriously. They think he's the coolest cat around. And in fact, I don't know any brothers that have done this, but I can imagine they have. When I was younger, driving around, you know, I, I wasn't a part of the generation where people had dice hanging on their, that was Robert Yannis' generation, right? That was like 50s, 60s. That was his generation. But I was of the generation where it was really cool. I, although I never did this, I never did this. But the little Playboy bunny thing hanging on the rearview mirror, Giving up your ornaments would be as a Christian saying, you know what, this symbol is not godly. I need to take that symbol off. Maybe you come to Christ and on the back of your car you have a vulgar bumper sticker and you need to do something about that. You need to strip away that ornament. I'm not sure exactly how to apply that in your life but I believe that those are true steps to revival. Mourning over your sin and then stripping yourself of whatever it is that that you have put in your life that becomes more important than God. You need to strip yourself of that ornament. These people took off their ornaments. They mourned over their sin. And that would have been proof that they were truly sorry and repentant. These are the steps to revival. These are the steps to make things right. And the people are starting actually to do that. There is and was, uh, I, there was teaching when I was growing up about jewelry and should a Christian woman wear jewelry? You can go into our bookstore, ask Barbara that. She, you'll get the answer, you know, how, what we really think about that. But there, there are those, and they're more Pentecostal, and, you know, they don't cut their hair, they wear long dresses, they don't use any jewelry or makeup. That's, it's forbidden. And they actually use this text for no jewelry. It's against, no Christian can wear jewelry because they were stripped. And this means you're really spiritual. That's not what that means, right? You understand that. That's not what this is teaching. But there are those that actually will teach that. There's no prohibition against jewelry. I like what Jay Vernon McGee says. You've all heard it. You know, when it comes to makeup for a woman, the barn needs painting. Paint. Right. <laughs> I you know you could say a lot about that but anyway the first step was to mourn the second was to remove their ornaments and then we get to verse 7 this is fascinating because we just had the tabernacle now we have this new thing notice it's called the tent of meeting verse 7 Moses took his tent Moses took his tent And he pitched it outside the camp, far from the rest of the people, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. And so it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, all the people, they were really sensitive now to Moses and where he's going and what this tent represents. Notice this. They all arose, and each man stood at the door of his tent, peeking out as Moses went to the tabernacle, to this, his tent, this meeting place outside the camp. And it came to pass when Moses entered this tent of meeting, the tabernacle, that, that term there in the New King James or King James tabernacle, we're not talking about the big tabernacle. We're talking about this little Moses tent here. When, when Moses went there, the Lord talked with Moses. Verse 10, all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man at his tent door. Oh, I wish I had that relationship Moses had. Do you see what's going on here? Moses has to separate his tent from all the people. God is only going to meet with Moses. The people are so sinful. And they they wanted that relationship. They wanted to be close to God, but they couldn't. So they're peeking out of their tents. As Moses goes off into the hills and he's way over there. And whenever the I mean the light would hit the tent, boom, you know, God was there. And they were all they would worship, Oh Lord, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. I can just see the picture of the scene. Verse 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Wow. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nunna, a young man, did not depart from that little tent. Now, the first thing that you notice is the tent of meeting is not the tabernacle, as I've said. The differences are that this tent of meeting here in verse 7 in chapter 33 Is outside the camp. The tabernacle was supposed to be inside the the camp, guiding the people, the people camping around it. The tent of meeting here in, in chapter 33 was served by Moses and Joshua alone. The tabernacle was always served by the Levites and by the priests and all the duty that they had to do in there. And then the cloud of God's presence comes down on this tent of meeting, only when Moses is there. Joshua could be there or not, just tending it, you know, but God's presence only showed up when Moses was there. But in the tabernacle, the presence of God was in the incense, remember the burning incense and the light and the ministry. Of the, that was a representation that God's presence was there in the Holy of Holies. So, this tent of meeting here in verses 7 through 11 that we've just read about, it's temporary where God would meet Moses, it's way inferior when in comparison to the elaborate and beautiful tabernacle that we've talked about and we've learned from the previous verses here in Exodus. But the function of the tent of meeting and the tabernacle are similar in that God would meet with his people. In this case, he's not meeting with the people, he's outside meeting with Moses alone in the tent of meeting. Moses took his tent, verse 7, and pitched it outside the camp. Now, Moses is a type of Christ. When you look at Moses, he's the mediator. He's the one between God and the people. Just like Jesus is the mediator between a righteous God and a sinful man. So Moses, again, is this type of Christ being the mediator. And the nations here, the, the children of Israel, are repenting their mourning. They take the next step of stripping themselves of the the ornaments. But God still will not meet with them. He only meets outside the camp with Moses. Why? Because of their disobedience, because of their sin, because he's called them over and over a stiff-necked people. They're stiff-necked. They've been stiff-necked to God's word and his commands. They've been stiff-necked to God's calling them to holiness they've been stiff-necked and so God has separated himself from the people for us in the new testament we're given the holy spirit and as we walk with the lord on a a day-by-day basis we've been given the holy spirit the holy spirit leads and guides us in the truth but we can usurp the work of the holy spirit in our lives did you know that You cannot listen to God and his word and do your own thing. You have volition. You can do your own thing. You'll pay for it. There's a consequence. There's guilt and shame. Pastor, I can't believe you're talking about guilt and shame. We're to to build people up. You're to have good self-esteem. No, you're not. You're to know when you're a sinner so you can get right with God, and that's where joy comes from. Guilt and shame are great teachers for any of us that will be Instructed, It's wisdom for the believer. Guilt and shame. I shouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I mean, if you haven't felt guilt or shame in the last couple of days, I, I wonder, do you really know the Lord? Do you understand? Because my flesh is so... It'll usurp the Holy Spirit at any moment. That's why I have to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, be being filled every moment of every day. Follow, trust, and believe in the Holy Spirit, not your own whims and desires and flesh. And so, most of us, when we sin, we don't immediately go out and apologize unless the Holy Spirit you know, brings that conviction and that guilt. But when he does, and we repent, and we feel guilty, and we apologize, and we, when we do that, then we are restored in our relationship there. Again, repentance brings a restoration of that fellowship with God. Now notice these people, they're trying to reach out to God, but God says, no, you're stiff-necked. You're still outside the camp. But notice here in verse nine through 11, Moses' closeness with God. And I believe he's doing this to show the people that that's why the tent glows when Moses goes out there. They're missing out. They're looking from their tents. Oh, I wish we wouldn't have sinned. You know, why did you do this, Papa? You know, whatever. Why did you sin? We, we could have been there with Moses. And Moses has this great relationship, verse nine, and it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle, the, this little tent, the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to the camp but his servant Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Again, it's an amazing thing that, that Moses is so close to the Lord here. That's one of the beautiful truths here in this this, uh, scripture, that God spoke face-to-face with him. Now, this helps you and I understand that there's no greater prophet in the Bible. There's no greater prophet. Moses is the greatest prophet. Why? Why would I say it? Because he spoke face-to-face with God. Other prophets had visions. Other prophets got words from the Lord Moses spoke to God, how? How did he speak? Face to face. This makes Moses, sets him really apart from every other prophet because of Moses' closeness with God. But the point here is that while God is meeting with Moses, the people are watching from their tent doors. They realize that they've sinned and they're separate from God. They've lost that closeness and that intimacy, and Moses has that closeness with God. But what does it mean here, verse 11? that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. This is how I interpret this, that God spoke to Moses in a way that Moses could understand as if he was talking face to face. No one has ever spoken face-to-face with God. We're going to see by the end of this chapter that you can't see God's face and live. You can't. That can't happen. But what's being related to us is that God is speaking in a clear, concise way. There's no visions. There's no clouds. There's no, there's no mystery. There's no parable. He's just speaking man-to-man, face-to-face with Moses. That's what that means. He's a friend. and I love that relationship that he has here. In Numbers 12, look at this verse behind me, Numbers 12. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. So that kind of gives, you, gives us an understanding of what it means to speak to God face to face, just clearly. He spoke face to face. He just using common words. Moses heard God's voice. Moses understood plainly what God was communicating. No dreams, no visions, no mystical things. But again, I'm thinking that it's also possible that this means that God appears to Moses, just hang with me for a moment, in what's known as a Christophany. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's Jesus, I believe, in the book of Genesis, that sits with Adam, and they name the animals. The Bible says that Adam walked with God. Who did he walk with? God is a spirit. He do not have a body. Jesus has a body. And I believe here this is Jesus. Uh, you could debate it. You, we could argue it. We could run around in circles. But I, as I read this just plainly, face-to-face, what does that mean? Well, Maybe he's talking to Jesus face-to-face. They're having a conversation. Just like Abraham in Genesis 18, that Christophany, you can read that on your own later. It's a, a beautiful account of Abraham speaking with Jesus in the tent. Now Moses prays at this point in time, and this is his great intercessory prayer. Look at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, You say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your People. There's Moses again going back. You know, this goes back and forth. They're your people because they're sinful. And Moses said, They're not my people. I didn't bring them out. I couldn't do what you do, God. They're your people. These are yours. They're not mine. What a bold request. What a, a beautiful example of how the believer is to communicate with God. It's not the caller, church, it's not the clothes. It's not a certain cadence of speech. Oh, God. He can really hear me now. Oh, God. I beseech you and whatever. Face to face. When you speak to God, it's face to face. God, man, I'm just having a really struggle. I'm struggling today. I don't understand what's going on. God, can you help me out here? It's just talking to the Lord. That's what I'm seeing here in Moses' intercessory prayer. Moses says, see, you, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know to whom you'll send with me. Yet you've said I know you by name, and you found grace in my sight. Lord, you said you know me, and, and how are you going to help? What's gonna, how is this going to all work? I don't know how it's going to work. Moses wants to know God's way here and how God is going to get them all to the promised land because he doesn't know. And then the answer, verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Literally here, my presence or my face, I'm gonna lead you one step at a time, one day at a time, I'm gonna lead you. That's a great promise for any of you today. If you find yourself struggling, here's a great promise. When God told Moses, Moses said, well, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna work this out, God? God says, don't worry, Moses. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What a refreshing answer. What a beautiful answer there. To have the presence of God means to rest. To have the presence of God leading you in your struggle tomorrow, that's rest and joy. It's You know what, Lord, I can't do this anymore. There's a situation in my life where I've just had to like uh, let go and let God. It's easy to hold on. It's easy to take possession. It's easy to control. It takes a lot of faith to just say, you know what, I'm, I'm just gonna back away from this. God, you have to do it. You have to go before me. You have to make this happen. I can't do it. That's what's happening here. God is saying, my presence will go with you and I'm gonna give you rest. If you'll just trust me, Moses, if you just follow me, What a great answer. Verse 15, then he, Moses, said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. I don't want to go. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? Well, that's great logic, right? So we shall be separate, he says, your people and I from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. Again, God promises Moses in a personal way. He's having this face-to-face conversation with him. And more importantly, he says that he is going to be with his people. He's not gonna just leave them there. But Moses, I'm gonna have you be the leader. I want you to lead them here. And all of that is a result of Moses' prayer. His honest, heartfelt, just sharing his heart with the Lord and then then letting God answer. I think a lot of times we demand from God, God, you've gotta do this. I've done this for you, so you've gotta do this for me. That's the wrong approach. The right approach is, Lord, you understand me, you, you know, when I sit down, when I lay down, when I say, you understand me frontwards and backwards. But I have this real need and I don't understand it. Lord, what will you do? How can I follow you? God, God, give me the steps to take in the right direction right now. I believe those are the kinds of prayers that God answers. And God will allow you one step at a time. He'll lead you one step at a time, day by day, moment by moment. It's a beautiful prayer this intercessory prayer that, that Moses prays and then God obviously answers. So the Lord said to Moses, verse 17, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. So God honors this bold request and intercessory prayer of Moses here and promises to restore his relationship in the future with Israel. Then notice in verse 18, where Moses asks to see the glory of God. Now, this is where it gets really interesting here in the story, Moses' request for revival, I've called it, and he said, Moses says, please show me your glory. I believe what Moses is asking for there. He he has been interceding for the people. Lord, they're your people. Lord, yes, they've sinned, Lord, you know, don't wipe him out. He's been interceding for them. He's been praying. He's been that mediator. That's what he's supposed to do. God proves that Moses is the mediator to listen to because every time he goes outside the camp, the tent lights up, bing, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows that there's a relationship that they don't have going on. Moses is the man. He's the mediator. He's the prophet that they need to listen to. And then Moses says, please show me your glory. Revive me, Lord. Lead me. And guide me and answer my phone. <laughs> and number one, number one, notice what he says here revival. It's all about being close to God and knowing and serving God more. Mo- Moses is saying here to God, Show me your glory. I, I wanna follow you, Lord. I-, I wanna do, just show me, lead me, guide me, revive my heart to follow you, to serve you in any way. I'll tell you revival happens in the heart of any of God's servants by knowing him through his word, and then by serving the Lord, by just stepping out in faith and just serving the Lord. Well, all of us want to see God face to face, right? All of us want to see the glory of God, just like Moses here. And God answers his request for revival. And God answers your request, you just better be ready. I believe God answers that all the time. In fact, I've seen it over the years of ministry. I, I've been in part of this church since 1979. And I've watched God do things in people's lives. And I, don't, I can't judge them. I don't know their motive. But I'll tell you this. Those that find themselves serving the Lord in some capacity are way happier. And they need much less counsel. Then those that are always, oh, poor me, and I don't have enough money, I don't have the right person, I don't have the right job. It's so you pray for me, Pastor Leo. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, man, I, they should learn to, to ask God to see His glory and follow Him. Is when you do that, God revives your heart, and you'll find yourself serving the Lord, and there won't be time to mourn, there won't be time to feel sorry. For your situation, for your lack of anything. You won't be in a lack because you'll be so filled with God and so filled with joy that you get to serve the Lord when the fellowship comes together during the week in some capacity. I get to serve the Lord that brings meaning and purpose in your life, and revival as well. And I love the example here of, of Moses' leadership. He, first, he prays, he's asking God to see the, his glory. I want to see revival in my own heart. I want to see you close. I want to be closer to you, Lord. Can I just ask the question, is that a desire of your heart? Are you so wound up and bound up with your job and your daily living and the painting of your house? I've been painting my house. I've been painting my house. You guys like painting your house? Anybody in here? Anybody? Okay, there's one, two people, two people, three people. So the majority of us don't really want to do that, right? Painting your house, man. I'll tell you what. When you paint your house, when you do a work, and you start thinking about the Lord, when you get your mind off of everything else, when I'm painting, I've been painting my house, and I haven't. I'm not spending hours and hours and hours. I'm not. I'm ashamed to tell you how I've done it, but but I'm painting my house. <laughs> my wife laughs, laughs. but. In those times, I have an opportunity just to think about the Lord and think about what he's given me and and it's precious and I'm thankful and I'm not thinking about me anymore. I'm thinking about God and his work and how I get to serve him. It just changes your perspective. I think we all need revival. We all need to ask the Lord to revive our hearts. We all need to say, God, do a, a new work in our hearts, in our lives tonight. When, when leaders like Moses, when a father like Moses, when a mother like Moses, when spiritual leaders in a church, when leaders spend time in prayer, when they seek the Lord's face, when they ask to see his glory like Moses, God begins to lead. Thursday night we have prayer for men. Monday we have prayer for women. I believe it starts there. I invite you guys to come out on Thursday nights, 7 o'clock. It's a blessing to be with the brothers and just to pray, to pray for the fellowship, to pray for families, to pray for ministry, just to pray, and to ask God to use us as a fellowship, to bring his truth to the city that we minister to, the people that are around us, to bring the glory of God in some way to people that are hurting and people that don't know him. We we love to do that, we love to get together and pray now notice, Moses prays and he asks for revival to see God. And here's how God answers here in the last few verses. It's a promise and a place. First, there's the promise, verse 19. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Moses says, I want to see you, God, face to face. Here's God's promise. I'll make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Here's God's sovereignty. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In verse 20, but he said, you cannot, Moses, you can't see my face for no man will see me and live. So we see the sovereignty of God. And he says this to Moses, he says, you want to see my face. You want to really know who I am. You want me to reveal my character to you. Here's what I'm going to show you. I don't think any of us would want to see the wrath of God. I mean, how many of us really want judgment and wrath? But that's part of God, right? That's part of his character. How many of us really want his justice in our lives right now? Based on how you've lived your life and what do you really want justice? to get what you really, really deserve. Do you really want that? What you want, what I want, is mercy. Amen? Amen. And so God shows mercy here. How does he show it? He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I love this. Don't you love that? Not wrath, not judgment, not justice, but goodness, the mercy of God. God is so gracious to me. Can I really see your face, God? You... You don't even know what you're asking, Moses. If you see my face, you're dead. You're a sinner. You can't, you can't exist. I'm holy. But, but what I will show you, I'll reveal this attribute to you. It's my goodness, my mercy. Man, I, I tell you what, when I read that, I just, I am so grateful for the mercy of God in Christ. I'm so grateful. That's really what's being revealed here God will allow his goodness to pass before Moses. Again, God is revealing his true identity. This is part of his immutable attribute, his goodness here. And God wants Moses to know more about his goodness. Moses is getting pretty hardcore. Moses is gonna get really angry with the people. God is gonna give him more authority over the people and he's gonna get so mad at them he's gonna... Lash out the, on them and strike the rock, right? You, you know we're, we're heading there. He's going to have enough of enough, but God is going to show him his goodness, this perfect balance of who he is. And God sees the people as a stiff-necked people. He won't go with them, but he's revealing who he is to Moses here. For you, verse 17, have found grace in my sight. So God's promise is Moses to reveal himself. And then he, this is the cool part of the study. Hang with me just in the next couple of sec- minutes here. Verse 21, he's gonna reveal a special place. So the Lord said, here is a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And then I will take my hand and you shall see my back but my face you shall not see. I love the fact that God prepares Moses for this encounter because he knows the frailty, he knows your frailty, he knows mine, he knows we're just dust or as Gale Irwin so wonderfully puts it we are but Dust, (laughs) I love the way he says that, that's all we are. And God knows how frail we are. He understands who we are. And so he's protecting Moses here. I love this picture here, it's beautiful. God carefully prepares Moses, puts him in a special place. And then one of the most powerful pictures of God, God's presence is so powerful that Moses he can't even stand in the very presence of God. So it shall be while my glory passes, verse 22, by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand as I pass by. So God's glory can't remain in front of Moses. It had to pass by. And, and I love this tru- truth about Moses. He's protected by two things here, by the hand of God, And the cleft or the crevice of the rock, God places him in that little place, that little protection place because God loves him and he cares for him. Growing up in the church, I used to sing the song that Fanny Crosby wrote called He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there. With his hand. That song that she wrote came right from this scripture. Or another song, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Those great reminders, those beautiful hymns that remind us that God protects us and he watches over us. And in this case, with Moses, he protected him with his hand and in the cleft of the rock. Again, this is a clear picture of God protecting Moses here. For us as New Testament believers, God does a similar thing. We have Jesus Christ, who is the rock. Everything in this Old Testament story is going to relate to Jesus. We stand firmly on the rock of our our salvation, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, Paul writes, For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock, the picture of that rock, the Old Testament rock, is Christ. And if we want to see God, like Moses wanted to see God, we have Jesus Christ, John 14, 9. Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? Jesus said. He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to see God tonight, you just need to look at Jesus Christ. John 1:18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has exegeted. He has declared him. He has made him known. Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. We get to see him face to face. I hope you look forward to that. I know my brother Robert Yannis is standing face to face with Jesus Christ tonight. I know it. Because he put his faith in a loving and merciful God and Savior in Jesus Christ. I hope that you'll seek the face of God like Moses. I hope you'll pray face-to-face with God like Moses. And I pray that God will give you that wonderful encounter where he hides you and protects you with his hand and puts you in that right place and then reveals his glory to you. God can do that and God will do that And he does that through this process that we know as revival. And it starts with people that pray and it starts with leaders that lead, moms and dads in the home and pastors and spiritual leaders in churches that lead their people through God's word and to his throne. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight and this beautiful passage of scripture. I just ask, Father, that you would help us to understand the significance of these words, the narrative here, the story, the history, and how it really points and is a shadow of the things to come in Christ. I pray for any that are hurting tonight. We pray, Lord, for the Yanis family or any people that are hurting tonight for loss. We ask, God, that you would encourage their hearts as they go through this process of grieving that that they wouldn't have a hopeless sorrow but they would be filled with hope the hope of eternal life in Christ and for those that die in Christ we get to see them again if we believe if we have faith if we receive that gift of eternal life that that's offered in Christ so thank you Lord thank you for this passage May we seek to see you face to face. May we seek to obey you so we're not separate from you. May we bring glory and honor as we serve you. In Jesus we pray, amen. Let's stand together.